Hi everyone, welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcast. I really appreciate it. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready, grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind, let's roll. In Acts chapter 13, we see our message, Explosive Calling, and we are looking at the power of the Holy Spirit contained in human vessels, these jars of clay, that are moving through the Mediterranean world and rocking the world for Jesus. It is empowerment by God's Spirit to take the gospel forward, and in this specific passage, we see an explosive calling for Saul and Barnabas that God has a special work that he wants them to do. And depending on how far you are along in your walk with the Lord and how God has called you and moved you and used you in your life, it's very exciting. There's nothing as exciting from my perspective as living the Christian life in faith and having God use your life. Just basically saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. I don't know what I can do. I don't know how I would be useful for your kingdom, but I just want to be used by you. And that's the prayer that brings a availability, because it's really not our ability, but our availability that God is looking for. Because let's face it, if God can preach to Balaam through a donkey, right, he can get the job done through me. And so the donkey was available, he got the job done. And for each one of us, in the simplest way, this is the thing that people usually beg off or tell me, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know how I could be used by God. Just make yourself available and see what God does. It might be helping with food on a Saturday night. It might be teaching in Sunday school. It might be uh, evangelizing at work, whatever. Just be open to the Spirit of God and start living in that expectancy of God using you and watch what he does. Let's stand together, read this passage of Scripture in chapter 13 of the book of Acts with our message, Explosive Calling. We're going to read through verses 13. So 13 chapter 13 all the way through verse 13. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulos, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Eliamus, the sorcerer, for that, so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, 
Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga with, uh, in Pamphylia, and John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts now, that you would feed us and refresh us. And Lord, as you taught us in Luke chapter 11, Lord, you said that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, you will give it. So Lord, we're asking as your people, each one of us hungry and expectant in our hearts for what your spirit wants to do in our individual lives. And Lord, we pray that you would awaken and give us eyes to see wonderful things from your word, that we would learn how to be yielded and available to the operation of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to share with you from this passage of scripture, these 13 verses, I want to share 11 thoughts about how the Holy Spirit works through this explosive calling in Saul and Barnabas's life, but how these things are also common to all of his people. And you can't miss it as you go through this passage of scripture. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you'll just reminisce and remember different times in your life how God has used you when he has called you. Think of it in, as the First thing that we see is the Spirit calls in verses 1 and 2. There's a group of these teachers and prophets. They're ministering at Antioch. Now, Jerusalem is the Jewish center of the church that exploded at Pentecost. Now, up north in Syria is Antioch. And some believers had went up the coast to Antioch. And they began to preach to Gentiles, and it really became a beachhead for not only Jews and proselytes, but it became a beachhead for Gentiles to begin to believe in Jesus. And as this takes place, this church up north in Antioch becomes the Gentile missionary-sending church. So you have the Jerusalem church, and they had sent Barnabas up there to check out what was going on. They're a bit suspicious. And when we get to chapter 15, those who are reading along with us, they have to actually have a pastor's conference because they have some conflict between the Jewish theology and the Gentile theology, and they have to come together and figure all of that out in Acts chapter 15. But here as we see these teachers and these prophets, it gives us five individuals' names that are there. They're all teaching and they're prophesying. Now, a prophet generally is somebody that speaks under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, declaring the word of God. Most of the time, we think of a prophet as somebody who is foretelling future events. And that does take place. We read back in chapter 11, there's a guy by the name of Agabus, and we have two prophecies of him in the book of Acts that were foretelling something that was going to happen. A famine in chapter 11, and Paul the Apostle being bound hand and foot when we get uh, further on in the book of Acts. But prophecy happens. If you've ever come to church and the preaching of the word of God is going forth, and it's nothing that is predictive, but it actually feels like it's reading your mail. This is what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, that when people come in and it feels like somebody told on you, I know that's probably never happened to you. You ever felt like somebody's told on you? They whispered in the preacher's 
you know, ear, or they sent a note from mommy to tell the, the, <laughs> him how to preach. When that happens, that's prophecy, and people want to fall on their face and say, God is truly among you. I, nobody knows this about me. How do you know this? And this is the crazy thing about operating in that way myself, is that I have no clue who I'm talking to when I'm saying these things, but I know it's for somebody. And uh, so when they come up to you, they look at you as if, have you been following me around all week? No. But I know someone who has. The Holy Spirit's been in your business all week long, right? So these prophets and teachers are there, and these five individuals, there's Barnabas and Simeon, who is called Niger, and Niger, most believe, is from Nigeria. He would be a black brother in the Lord. I think it's crazy in this Gentile missionary sending church in this whole critical race theory period of time, the church breaks down all those barriers from 2,000 years ago. We have another individual, Lucius of Cyrene, which is also um, the, this area of northern Africa that people believe is a black brother in the Lord. So who is laying hands on Paul and Saul, uh, uh, Barnabas, sending them out? A couple of black brothers in the Lord. And they're, they're, they're having the Holy Spirit operate and work through them. You know, I have uh, people on staff, you know, people, we live in this crazy postmodern rhetoric about people calling us white supremacists. If you believe that the border should be secure and people should immigrate to America through legal means, does that sound reasonable to everybody here? Right? We, we don't matter, it doesn't matter to us what color you are, what nation you come from, but when you come to America, you should come through legal means. You should apply and come to our country. We should be able to say yes or no, depending on who comes. But if you believe that, you're a xenophobe or you're a white supremacist. Now, how is that possible? Right? America is not about color. It's about an ideal. So you can be any color and be an American. That's not true in other countries that are more homogenous. That, be that as it may, we set it aside. There's also Man, Manam, and he is a guy that is a foster brother of Herod. He's kind of a who's who of a guy that was converted. And these are the three individuals that lay hands, but this is how the Spirit calls. The Lord it says in verse 2, the Holy Spirit said. Now, how did he say? Did he say it through a prophet that was there? That could have happened. Divine revelation through a spiritual gift. Now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, they were already doing the work in Antioch. Paul had been there for a year, ministering and strengthening the believers along with Barnabas and these other prophets and teachers. So why now does the Holy Spirit say, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them? Because they've been there, they've been ministering, but now he has a different work for them. The call of God, the explosive call of God, wants to direct you in your life into ministry and opportunities through various means of communication. There are three ways in the New Testament that we saw, see God giving people direction. Number one, divine revelation, which means a prophetic word, like God spoke to you, boom, just hit your heart. I was at a men's retreat. I was a construction worker. I'm a tile setter by trade. There's three foot of snow outside. We're in the central mountains of Idaho. I'm enjoying the men's retreat. And a guy is teaching the word. And in the middle of his message, which had nothing to do with his message or him speaking to me, the spirit of the Lord spoke to me so powerfully and said, you're going into full-time ministry. 
It was just as clear as day, like a thought that came into my mind. When God has spoken to me through divine revelation, through a handful of times, and I mean a handful of times, because you have these people that are just constantly like, you know, right now in the middle of service, you know, what's that, Lord? Yeah, okay. They're going back and forth. They're going back and forth. And I was like, wow, that's quite a hotline to God. Now, if that's your spiritual gift, I, 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 don't, I don't challenge that because you're, that's your own experience to give it an account for. But for me, when God gives me divine revelation, and I've been walking with Jesus almost 40 years, it has been very powerful and supernatural what God has spoken to me. And in this moment, God spoke to my heart and said, you're going into full-time ministry. It was so powerful, I turned around and I looked at the guy behind me because I thought I overheard God talking to him because it couldn't be for me. Obviously, it had to be somebody else. Now, in that moment, I realized that God now had spoken to me, divine revelation. But also, God can speak to us, not only through other people's prophecy or divine revelation, but also through human inclination. I just want to do this. I, I have a heart to, and because it's God who works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. This is what Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 2 of Philippians. He, he says, you know, God is working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. God puts desires in your heart, and you think they're from you, but God actually put them inside of you for, to pursue. So God works in this way. We also see that God works through unified confirmation, as in Acts chapter 15. There's a whole group of teachers there, and this is what they decide after there's no divine revelation. They all share their hearts. And at the end of it, James, who's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, stands up and he says, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. There's a unity of the Spirit among these leaders that this is probably what we should do. And through years of pastoring churches and my board of elders or my uh, group of pastors that I ministered with, that we would sense this is what God wants to do. There was no heavy revy. There was no divine revelation, so to speak. There was not necessarily that word from God that spoke very clearly. There was also not some uh, other means of communicating. It was just this sense that all of us were on the same page and feel like this seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. You ever have that in your life? Your wife and you, you're, you're talking about something and, and you go, it just seems good to do this. You know, this is what God's doing inside of us. And God's Spirit works in this way, but he has a work for them to do and he has a work for each one of us to do. If you're a mom raising little kids, man, what a glorious work for God that is. It's an amazing work for the Lord. And what we think of as work is a missionary or preacher or pastor. No, there's all kinds of things that God wants to do in our life. You know, that's why because of Father's Day, happy Father's Day, a day in advance for all you dads. Um, the reality is, is that a dad's calling is one of the most powerful things in a family. Max Licato, who's very well known, said this week in, a, in an article, my dad did nothing extraordinary, but he did what a father should, and that was show up. He was just present. He was just there. Dad's there to uh, be the strength in the family. What is God's calling on your life? Do you know that many people that know Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Those two verses are very well memorized. But you rarely hear verse 10 quoted. For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created unto good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saves us by his grace to use us for his glory. 
He saves us, and he's already prepared the work for you to do. And if you feel like you're just stepping into the stride of what God is doing in your life, that's what he created you for. And that workmanship is poema. It means you are God's work of art to do exactly what you're doing. It may not be, you may not be the next Billy Graham, but you're going to be used by God, and you will have tremendous joy in that service. Well, the second thing we see is he not only calls, but he sins. In verse 3 and 4, Then, having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, and they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, they had been fasting. Did you catch that in that first thought? In verse 2, it says, They ministered to the Lord and fasted. These five guys were just... (laughs) Five guys. I'm sorry, burgers and fries went through my mind. These five guys, no burgers and fries. These five guys had been, did you notice, ministering to the Lord. Not ministering to people. Ministering to the Lord. How do you minister to the Lord? Just worshiping and praising and loving God is ministering to the Lord. And they were also fasting. Fasting has to do with a deep concern you have about something that is on your heart that you want to see God move in. And for them, it must have been how to expand the kingdom of God because that's what God does. Fasting has sadly fallen out of favor with Christendom in America. And if you have never discovered the art of fasting over deep concerns, I want to encourage you. I I tell people it's like bringing the sledgehammer to your prayer closet. It breaks through those barriers and the concrete walls that seem to be holding up the things that or holding back the answer that you really need from the Lord. And so they're ministering to the Lord, and they're fasting. And now they fast and pray and lay hands on them, and they're sent out, it says in verse 4, by the Holy Spirit, and where they went to. Went down to Seleucia, and then over to Cyprus. Now, Barnabas is from Cyprus, so it could be at this point, hey, God sent us out, we're not sure where to go, and Barnabas says, now it's God working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Well, I'd like to go home and, and share on the island of Cyprus, the hope we have in Jesus with my, my people. I've noticed that when God gets a hold of somebody's heart, the first thing they think about is, oh, I want to go share with the people I know, the people that I love. And as they move this direction, God sends. You see, he not only has a calling for you, but he has a place for you. It's a call and a place to serve. Now, as these two go out, the other three stay behind because the majority of people stay where they're at. Because if everybody left and went out, who would be here to serve, right? So God's calling for the other three was to stay there and minister. I remember I was in a time when I was at San Jose ministering years ago. And for weeks, I had been praying and just ministering to the Lord. Lord, I just want to do what you want me to do. And I feel like you're stirring my heart that you have a new place for me to serve. I'd been there for about 18 months serving the Lord. And that was the plan. I'd already planted a church as a young guy at the age of 26. I'd planted a church. And then I went and joined Don McClure San Jose to learn some things. I asked him, hey, can I join the staff? Can I learn for a year or two and then go back out and plan another work? And I was praying, and the Lord was just stirring me up to a new place. And we were going to go on this vacation back to Idaho, and I was going to teach at this church and teach at their three Sunday morning services. And I, I told the Lord, I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but Lord, on this trip, if you want to speak to me to redirect me to the new place of service that you have for me, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, would you just speak to my heart? 
I spoke at these three services at the church there in Pocatello that I had planted a couple of years before that. And after the service, a couple came up to me from Idaho Falls, which was 50 miles to the north. They were driving 50 miles to come to a uh, church. And uh, the, the motto, they had a radio station, and the ad was, A Church Alive is Worth a Drive. And so people were driving from all over to the church. And after the church, this couple came up to me and said, We heard you started this church, and we're driving 50 miles. It would be great. And they were, it was tongue-in-cheek. They were joking because I was serving in California at the time. And they were semi-joking and said, would you come to Idaho Falls and start a church? And because I was sensitive to what the Lord was doing, and I said by the mouth of two or three witnesses, I looked at them and the smile evaporated and I became very serious. And I said, yes, I will pray about that. And when they saw how earnest I was and serious, they're like, really? And I said, yes, I will pray about that. They left and then another couple came up and asked the same thing. They left and another couple, all these couple were disconnected from each other, but they were all from Idaho Falls driving from different places. And four couples in a row. And afterwards, I just felt so blessed, Lord. I said, I asked for two or three witnesses and you brought eight witnesses. Because you see, as soon as you make yourself available, God wants to speak. God wants to make his will known to you. Jeremiah 33.3, the Lord said, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. Because we don't have a clue, do we? I, I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. I need God's direction. I need him to show me in my life. And here, Paul the Apostle and them, they're sent out to a place. And we went to that place in Idaho Falls and then we stayed there for 24 years. And I was ready to die there. And then when the Lord told me on a morning walk with a cup of coffee in my hand, you finished your race, I have something else for you to do. Let me tell you, I was seriously bummed out. I'm like, I poured half of my life into this place. God is blessing our socks off. And now I gotta go do something else? That's the pits. And I told the Lord as much, except I whined a lot longer than I just told you the story. I'm like, I don't want to, how come I have to, well, you know, send somebody else. It's like, here am I, send him. You know, it's kind of, it was the reverse of Isaiah. And honestly, I, I came to the place, and I'm like, okay, Lord. I mean, you have something else? You want to call me out? You want to do something else? Your Lord. You know, there's an interesting phrase that Peter says. When the, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to the cross. And Peter says, not so, Lord. That's an inconsistent sentence. He's Lord. I never tell him not so. He's the king, right? When the, when the Lord says something, I say, yes, sir. I will. And that's where I came to that place. And that's how I find myself here. In the middle of communist California. And God has called me to come and love and serve you guys and go to jail with you. It's a blessing to be here with you and go to prison. We're going to have a jail ministry after this one. So just prepare yourself. Get, some, get yourself an orange jumpsuit so that you can get used to the colors. That's where we're going. Thirdly, the Spirit speaks. It says, when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the Word of God. God's Spirit is going to powerfully speak through His servants. He doesn't bring us all the way to a place. He doesn't go through all of this effort not to speak and make His, his will known about Jesus' love, about His death, burial, and resurrection as the only means for salvation. The Spirit is going to speak through us. Number four, the Spirit method, which is in the synagogues of the Jews. 
God revealed to Paul, and Paul's the one that basically unpacks it. He says, this is God's desire for the gospel, to the Jew first and then the Gentile, for the Jew first and the Gentile. Every town he came into, he said, where's the synagogue? In Philippi, where there was no synagogue, because you have to have 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue, some ladies were meeting at the river, Jewish ladies were meeting, and it's like, okay, well, the river's it then. It's, it's not even the synagogue. And he went there, and he preached the gospel, and Lydia got saved. God has a plan, and he has a method to reach any group of people, and this was the method through this period of time, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Number five, the Spirit reproduces. They also had John as their assistant. As I'm getting older now, at the age of, how old am I? I'm not sure, 57, whatever, you, start, you need some Timothy, some young men that are rising up because God wants to reproduce himself. And the easiest way, the, the simplest way is for young men that have a heart for God to hang out with old men that serve God and to watch what God does in their life. Years ago, we were going to Africa and for a number, every other year for a, about eight years, I went to Uganda to spend time with Pastor Craig that you guys know so well and minister in Uganda for a couple weeks. On one of those trips, a young man that grew up with my daughter, they were in uh, our Christian school together. We'd known him his whole life. He wanted to go on the mission trip. And I'm like, great, his name's Joe. He's like 16, 17. And I didn't know it, but Joe was really struggling, struggling in his walk with the Lord and, and, and at the time and had all these questions. And he went to Africa with us, and he was there with my older brother and myself as we just served and we ministered. And we never really directly ministered to Joe. He just was along for the ride, and he came back on fire for the Lord. He came back a new kid. Because when you hang out with men that love God and fearlessly serve the Lord, it is contagious for young men and women to be impacted by that. God wants to reproduce himself. Let me tell you, I have one great passion in life. If I was to live in a different time frame, I would have loved to walk and talk with Jesus, wouldn't you? But if I had plan B, I'd go, I'd want to minister with Paul. I'd want to go where he went and saw how he got the job done. The Spirit also finds people that God has a target on them, a big bullseye that he wants to speak to. He finds those, obviously, who are good and bad, those who are resisting the gospel and those who are seeking the Lord, as we see in verse 6 and 7. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. So here's a sorcerer and what he's doing in verse 7, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So one is calling to make an appointment with Saul and Barnabas to hear God's word. The word is spreading about their message. And here is, Ser here is Sergius Paulus, by the way, uh, a guy that is, um, they've found documentation there on the island, and he became a believer, and everything that unfolds here in this passage of Scripture actually has historical relevance in archaeology. But this Bar-Jesus is a Jewish individual. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus, or uh, until Jesus, you know, half the kids in the neighborhood were named Jesus. That's the Greek term of Joshua, because Joshua and Caleb were quite famous, so every, everybody's named Joshua. And so here's a guy that is a sorcerer, and he has just enough of spirituality as a sorcerer in all of his tricks up his sleeve, very much like uh, Simon that we see in 
uh, Samaria when Philip goes there to minister to. And here's this guy that is dark and demonic and spiritually influencing Sergius Paulus for bad, but Sergius Paulus is seeking God. This is so encouraging to me because the Spirit brings Paul, Saul and Barnabas there to minister, and he's going to deal with Bar-Jesus, Eliamus, and he's also going to deal with Sergius Paulus. Now, obviously, he's going to deal with them in unique ways. The Spirit, number seven, discerns. But Eliamus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. We'll pause there for a moment before we push play on the rebuke that's coming this guy's way. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul the Apostle now demonstrates the signs of an apostle. An apostle had signs of signs and wonders and mighty deeds. They could raise the dead. They could heal the lame. They could, these are signs, Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the signs of an apostle. And Paul steps up into his own. Now, he's been serving the Lord, we believe, at this point for about 12 years. He's been ministering in Tarsus for 10 years. Um, Barnabas went and found him in Tarsus to bring him to Antioch because he knew that with his Hellenistic background he could be useful there. And now he's been being prepared for 12 years. And now God is going to use Paul. Paul's going to step up and begin to minister at a level that he's never ministered before. You see, we are being changed from glory to glory in our usefulness. What you were a decade ago is not who you are today in the progress of how God wants to use you, how God wants to minister through you, and the gifts that God may have for you as we see this unfold in Saul's life. This is the first time he's called Paul. It seems that he put this label on himself. You see, Barnabas' name was actually not Barnabas. Did you know that? Barnabas' name was Joseph, but the, the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So they gave him a nickname. What a great thing. The church gives you a new name, son of encouragement. So Barnabas had a name, a new name given to him. But it appears that Paul, Saul, who, which means ask, like the first king of Israel, uh, Saul, the Benjamite. And here, his name is changed to Paul, which means little. It's almost like he wanted to play on the words like, God saved me, I'm going to do what I can, but I'm going to be little in my own eyes, and God is going to be big. And that's what Paul means, is little. He is taking on a humble moniker to move through ministry life with. Also in this passage of scripture, we see a little later in the chapter, which we won't get to, that it's the first time it's reversed. Up to this point, it's always Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas is the leader, but here in chapter 13, it starts saying, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. The leadership roles, as Paul grows, as Paul steps up, he begins to take on the missionary team leadership. God wants to do wonderful things in every one of our lives to touch people with the love of Jesus. If it's in a Sunday school class, if it's simply giving somebody, Jesus said, even if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you will receive your reward. Now that's pretty simple, right? Here you go. Here's a cup of water in Jesus' name. God bless you. 
Now, if we're going to get a reward for something as simple as a couple of cold water, imagine the variety of things God wants to do with each one of us. Now, it's not some big mystery. Don't, don't be, I know people that spend 30 years trying to find their calling. Love Jesus every day. Love him with all your heart. Love the people around you. And just do what God puts in your heart to do. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. You can just move forward enjoying this. But the spirit discerns this sorcerer. And Paul now, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks intently at him, and he sees all through the garbage, and he sees exactly who he is. Isn't it great when you, the Lord just shows you some phony, baloney person? And I don't know if you... Uh, <laughs> my wife seems to be more discerning than me. We'll leave a situation, and my wife will say, did you see, notice this? And I'm like, no, I'm, to I'm totally clueless. And she says, you probably should keep an eye on them. Because being a pastor and pastor's wife, that's very helpful. Because you have a lot of people that come in and try to disrupt things or tear down the church or cause all kinds of problems. And time after time, my wife would say, you know, you probably shouldn't put this guy in this position because this is, this is what's up with them. I'm no, no, they're great. And six months later, I'm like, oh, I just want to shoot myself. I'm like, you were right, honey. You totally saw it. You see, God's Spirit gives Paul the Apostle discernment in this moment, and he also has done that in my heart many times as well. You see, it's really important that we have spiritual discernment because some people are there in our midst, and the enemy is using them to push people away from God's kingdom, not draw them into God's kingdom. And we need the, the, the wisdom and the spiritual discernment to know that. Now, Paul, as the Holy Spirit gives him this discernment, he looks intently at the guy, he gets this. Now, check out this rebuke. Now, let me just ask you, when was the last time you heard a pastor speak this way? Check it out. Verse 10, the Spirit rebukes. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud. Can you imagine just like right out of the gate? <laughs> You are full of deceit and all fraud. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? I love this. <laughs> because he just calls the guy out, calls him a son of the devil. Now it reminds me of when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious leaders that were also putting a stumbling block in front of people that were coming into the kingdom, the Lord told him, you yourselves are not entering into the kingdom and you're stopping those who are entering into the kingdom. And he said, you bunch of snakes, brood of vipers is the term. It's a bunch of snakes. You guys are a bunch of snakes. Now Jesus, the son of God says, you bunch of snakes. I would say that's a very firm rebuke. Would you not? Okay. And I'm not sure in this day and age of all political correctness if that flies. I'm not sure if that message would say on Facebook or Twitter if you called somebody out this way, you son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Now I want you to know with this, God is trying to rescue Eliamus, or by Jesus, also. You know, when Simon, the, the sorcerer, came to Peter, when he saw that Peter and John laid hands on people and people received the Holy Spirit, Simon, in, in Acts chapter 9, he came to him and he said, 
or chapter 8, excuse me. Chapter 8, he came and said, hey, I'll give you some money if you give me that power so that, you know, that'll be one of my magic tricks. I'll give the Holy Spirit just like you did. And Peter rebukes him, and very harshly. And he says, you know, you are not, your heart is not right in the sight of God. And, and he was rebuked, and his heart seemed to be soft. He's like, oh, pray for me that none of these things will come upon me. You know, the judgment of God will not come upon me. And he actually responded like, oh, I, I didn't know. I'm uninformed. Teach me. And he seemed to be soft. We don't see that with this Eliamus or Bar-Jesus. So he rebukes him first, and he blinds him second. I'm not sure which should come first, but it appears that a good insult should happen and then a good job of blinding. There's a reason God has never given me this gift. I just want you to know. <laughs> Everybody would have a walking stick, you know, a blind walking stick. <laughs> but look what happens. Because he's trying to get his attention. First he rebukes him, and then in verse 11, the, the spirit blinds. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. He immediately became blind, a dark mist. Now, isn't it fascinating that this person that was resisting the gospel so vehemently, Paul the Apostle rebukes him and blinds him for a period of time. It's not, to it's, it's not permanent blindness. It's just for a season. You know who else got blinded who was vehemently attacking the gospel and trying to stop it? Paul the Apostle, right? Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus. The Lord knocks him down, and then when he gets up, he can't see. Three days, he can't see anything. And when Ananias finally, Ananias finally lays hands on him and prays for him, Brother Saul received the Holy Spirit. It was like great scales fell, these scales fell from his eyes, and he could see. He had been fasting and praying for those three days because Jesus had radically broke into his world. Don't you think... Paul the Apostle, as he now is bringing and, and sees somebody that, though his, his intention or his service is more demonic-oriented as a sorcerer or the occult, Saul of Tarsus was serving Judaism and thought it was his goal, I mean, it was his job to destroy the church, arresting people. He's watching the clothes when Stephen is stoned to death. And Saul now, Paul the Apostle now dishes out what he himself received. Maybe with that great deep hope that repentance could happen in Liamus' life, just like in his life. In Bar-Jesus' life, just like in his life. And so the spirit blinds. God can deal with those who are trying to thwart the work of the Lord. God can deal with them. And you don't know how he's going to deal with them. You don't know how he's going to get them out of the way so that God's message can really get to the heart that is open and seeking. In this story, it's Sergius Paulos. But how do you get that guy out of the way? How do you get the husband out of the way long enough to share the hope of Jesus with the wife who is actually wanting to hear about Jesus, but the husband doesn't want to? Or vice versa. Or that person at work that's quite trying to stop you from sharing with another coworker. Because when people see those who are searching for the truth and those who are bringing the truth and they themselves have rejected the truth, they feel it their job to stop the process.
They feel it their job to thwart the gospel and to somehow squish what God wants to do. But it doesn't work. It doesn't happen in this way because God is able. God is big enough. We see that the Spirit saves anyway in verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, the blinding of Eliamus, and being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He had a one-two punch. He saw this supernatural thing happen where Paul discerns, Paul calls him out, Paul rebukes him, Paul, the Spirit of God working through Paul, blinds him, and then they heard the teaching of the Word of God, and he says, I'm in, I'm following Jesus. Now, you, say, you might say, I would also believe, right, if a guy that has been my spiritual mentor, Eliamus, this sorcerer, all of a sudden he's blinded, you see, that was the problem with all the people in Samaria is they were, used to all go to this Simon, the sorcerer, this magician, and they went to him, and as soon as they saw the work of the Lord, Simon was now persona non grata. I mean, it's like he doesn't have a job anymore because the Lord was the one that was reaching out. Isn't it fascinating, you guys, how the occult is so growing? The psychic hotlines, the palm reading, the tarot cards, the, you know, humans deeply, deeply want to know what the future holds. They're fascinated with the future. They want to go have this person read their palm or do the tarot cards or whatever it might be. People read the horoscope. I can't believe they still give space to the horoscope, right? Well, I'm an Aquarius. Are you a Pisces? What are you? Well, you know what it says of me as an Aquarius, this is what's going, and with the moon rising, and my friendships, and, and there's, a new, there's a new significant relationship on the way. Oh, goody. It's like living life through a fortune cookie. When God wants to speak and God wants to minister, there is such a res resonant, of authenticity when when Sergius Paulus boom sees what happens to Elimus and he's blinded and rebuked and he hears the authority of the word of God by the spirit of God he believes in Jesus and it's that impact this is why in a very individual way in the next story in chapter 13 it's in a congregational way in a, in a large way uh, on their second sabbath the entire town it seems almost the whole town came to hear this message it was so powerful because god's spirit brings that dynamic to sweep away the chaff and to bring the authentic and the genuine and the real because people are craving it. And when your soul hears the truth, it resonates. It resonates in your, deeply in your soul. Sergius Paulus now believes, and through that whole process, the signs and wonders, because that really is kind of a supernatural sign that Paul did. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And he was talking about himself. This is his gifts as an apostle. That's why not everybody has these kinds of gifts. Um, everybody gets different gifts. Nobody gets all the gifts. We all have different gifts, and we might have similar gifts in different ministries, whatever it might be. But the reality is all of these things are for us. But the Spirit also trains. 
You know, notice John Mark, the young assistant, the young man that was along. He's Barnabas's nephew. His uh, sister apparently is a widow, a wealthy widow that lives in Jerusalem because when they're praying for Peter, when he's in jail uh, in chapter 12, they're at that house. And so Uncle Barney and um, John Mark, he brings him along. He's young. And what it says in verse 13 is that John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. The Spirit trains us, and a lot of the training that the Spirit does in our life is from our failures and us coming to the end of our own resources and the end of our own rope in ministry. And we're not sure what happens here because there's not much of a commentary, right? He just goes back to, he just says, forget this. This stuff's too hard. This stuff's too scary. I, I don't, I, and, and it, most believe that here's this rich kid with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's very pampered and he's Uncle Barney's nephew. And he gets out there where in the missionary life is really hard. It, it, it's really rough, and it's really scary, and there's violence, and they might end up in jail, and, and Paul the Apostle, he might be thinking, you know, there also seems to be a leadership change here where Paul begins to lead, and Barnabas is following, and maybe now John Mark's uncomfortable with that leadership change, sometimes in a, a, a pastor there's a new leadership change in a church, and some of the staff, they, they don't want to follow that other guy, so they go do something else. And John Mark, for whatever the reason, he leaves, and there's a breach in the relationship between Paul the Apostle and him. How do you learn? How do you get trained up in ministry? It reminds me of the story of a banker. He was the president of the bank. He had an incredible reputation in this town for 40 years. He had been a business leader in this community. And there was a guy that was young on the job. He was like a year in. And at his uh, retirement party, he goes up to him and says, Sir, he had never had a chance to talk to him. Sir, I'd love to just shake your hand. And I'm only a year in. But I want a career as a banker like you. And he said, Sir, what, what kind of advice could you give me? You've done this for 40 years. And he said, Son, <laughs> your career will be based on good decisions. And he was waiting for something else to come. And he said, well, well sir, how, how, how do I know how to make good decisions? He said, son, bad decisions. <laughs> and how much of our life is that way? That, that some of the things that are the deepest, most meaningful, impacting lessons I've ever learned is not from my victory, but actually from my failure. I blew it here. I blew it there. Never do that again. <laughs> so wait, oftentimes when you have the... Uh, the, the old guy in the meeting and the young 25-year-old say, hey, let's do this and do that. And the old guy goes, don't do it. Been there, done that. It's a disaster. Don't go down that road. And that, that voice of wisdom. But John Mark is young. And some of you who listen to this message may be young. And, and no failure in the Christian life ever be final. Isn't that great news? No failure in the Christian life ever needs to be final. Like you fall on your face. You make a mess of things. Okay, get up, dust yourself off, and keep moving forward. Because life goes on. It's a tragedy when people have some hiccup in their life as a young servant of the Lord. And they get so devastated, and the devil so condemns them that they just give up on serving God. And God's given them gifts and abilities and maybe for some of you who listen to this, whether you're in the room or you watch it on video later or live stream, the reality is the Lord wants to dust you off and get you back into his service. He does this for John Mark. 
Now, John Mark is going to be the source for Paul and Barnabas having a heated, I mean, a passionate, angry argument in chapter 15, where Barnabas takes John Mark because John Mark's always worried about restoring people, and Paul the Apostle's worried about the, the mission of the work. But at the end of Paul's life, he tells Timothy, he says, hey, come and bring Mark with you because, Mark, and this is in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. He says, bring Mark with you because he is useful for me in the ministry. God had rebuilt that bridge because you see this John Mark that leaves as a failure on the mission field as a young man is the guy that is the author of the gospel of Mark. Aren't you glad he didn't give up? You wouldn't have the gospel of Mark. He's also the, the young guy most believe. It's only in the Gospel of Mark. On the night that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, and there was a young man that, you know, he only had a, a, a blanket wrapped around him, and it was ripped off as he was trying to flee from the soldiers, and he ran through the woods in the dark naked. So he's got a couple of epic stories in his life. He's the first streaker that we see in the Gospel of Mark. He fails miserably in the book of Acts here with, with this, this situation. He is the source relationally of a split between one of the most dynamic missionary duos in biblical history, Barnabas and Saul. It's because of this kid. Barnabas wants to see him restored. Paul the Apostle says, we're going on another tough journey. I can't trust him. Who was right? In the end, Barnabas... Barnabas brought back that relationship. Mark began to really help Peter uh, in ministry, supposedly, according to church history. And then the gospel of Mark is really the gospel from Peter's mouth to the ears of John Mark. And as he writes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Not only is it a, a book, but you see John Mark had another chapter, actually 16 chapters to write in his story of servanthood. When Peter blew it, and he denied the Lord three times, does the Lord give up on his people that fail? No, he doesn't. He goes to him, and three times he lets him affirm his love. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I, I like you. you, you know, I'm not going to go overboard this time. He said, Peter, do you love me? You know, you know I like you a lot. Now, before I said I was going to die and go to prison, and I totally blew it, so I'm kind of backing up from that. And the third time, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And he was so exasperated because the Lord spoke to him three times. But he denied the Lord three times, and the Lord gave him three times to confirm his love to him. And I want to confirm God's love to you. I don't care who you are, what age you are in your life and love and service to the Lord. You know, the journey of the Lord, uh, of a child of God is a long one. And you might stumble, you might fall, you might fail and in this or that. There may be repercussions from that. All you can do is try to make it right with the people around you, get right with God, and move forward. Because every new day is the first day of the rest of your life in Jesus. Amen? It's a beautiful thing that God's mercies are new every morning. Because he never gives up on those who fail in their walk with the Lord. Now all of this explosive calling and takes place all through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's working in these guys' lives as they're ministering to the Lord. They're just worshiping the Lord. They're fasting. God, give us direction. And God ministers to them, and he will do the same. If you want direction in your life for the Lord, spend time just ministering to the Lord, worshiping the Lord, loving the Lord, praying to the Lord, fasting, asking the Lord for direction in your life. 
And as a, the promise that Jesus gave us in Luke eleven thirteen, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, fathers, Jesus said, if your son is hungry, and he says, Dad, I'm hungry, and he asks for a piece of bread, you're not going to give him a stone. Like, here, chew on this, kid. If he asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. If he asks for fish, you're not going to give him a snake, a serpent. He says, you fathers are evil. But how much more your heavenly father who's good, if you ask for the Holy Spirit to be given to you, to empower you, to give you direction for your calling in life and gifting in your service to the Lord, he will do it. And so by faith you ask, by faith you receive, and by faith you just begin to walk in the calling that God has for you and touch lives one at a time or in large numbers, depending on what God's calling is on your life, and God will use you powerfully to touch hearts. One of the coolest things that we have to look forward to is that when you and I get to heaven, just this missionary trip, when Paul the Apostle gets to heaven, got to heaven, who is going to be there? From this story, Sergius Paulus is going to be there because he believed, right? Paul the Apostle said, what is our hope? What is our, our, what is our crown of glory? He said, it is even you, the Philippians, that he had preached the gospel and they're going to be in heaven. When we get to heaven, every life that we've ever prayed for, that we've ever ministered to, we've ever loved, they're going to be there. Isn't that awesome? I don't know how many people that I've led to Christ, I don't know how many people I've baptized, but heaven's going to be a pretty cool place even if there was just one person there that I could share the Lord with. You know, my wife, who was, uh, is a tremendously devoted mom and grandma, but she loved our kids, and she shared our, our chil- with our children. And when my son was three years of age, she was tucking him in at, at bed at night, and she had been telling him about Jesus. And she's like, do you want to believe in Jesus tonight, Caleb? And he said, well, yes, Mom. And so at the age of three, my wife leads her son in a prayer to believe in Jesus. Now, if you talk to my son today, who's 32 years old, he never remembers a time in his life where he did not know Jesus, even though he asked Jesus into his heart when he was only the age of three. I got a, the day he was born, I I bought a picture Bible at the Christian bookstore as Tammy was resting and he was resting at the hospital. And through those early years before even age three, we were going through that picture Bible and we wore a couple of picture Bibles out. But you know, if there was only one person in heaven, our son, that we were able to touch with the love of Jesus, what an incredible joy that would be to have the people you love the most touched with his love and his goodness. The explosive calling of God is God's spirit working through you and I to touch broken hearts with the hope of heaven and the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus. May God so help us and call us and lead us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Pray that you would build us up in your kindness, Lord, as we ask according to the promise in Luke eleven thirteen. Lord, would you give us the Holy Spirit? Would you pour your spirit upon us? Would you empower us? Would you strengthen us? Lord, Lord would you just help us? May this be a place of refreshment. May this place be a place of of grace that is given to hungry hearts. 
And we thank you for your love for us. I pray that you would stir us all up in the gifts that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Light in the darkness, I won't hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time's trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I will keep my heart seeking.